bit tonight or this afternoon, but the second uh, part of it, because I want to not overwhelm on Sunday mornings with what we talk about. And also, I want to give the applications, and there seem to be many, seem to be very, very uh, broad in the applications of the, uh, of the truths. I was reading some, either reading a book or listening to a podcast, one of the two, and, and they, they, uh, whoever it was that I was listening to said that the, the uh, Sunday morning, the, the, the pastor's attempt is to give the general, the broad truth of a passage of Scripture. But then this is where the benefits of uh, like a small group or Sunday night or a Sunday school class uh, allows us to take the general truth and then apply it in a much more uh, practical, uh, in a much more practical way. So if you were to if you were to take these, and that's what I try to do on Sunday nights is just I know that there's going to be a, you know a smaller number of us. It's a lot more informal of a setting. Not that there's a lot of formality going on on Sunday mornings. Uh, but the, I like to, to try to get the the application in its way. I was, uh, and honestly, I was was going through the directory this this uh, this week, and I was uh, trying to look at your names and think about application. And I just kind of randomly opened the directory, and I was like, "How would so and so apply this scripture?" And it just kept popping out to uh, I didn't I didn't do everybody, but the people that I just hit randomly picking were like the nicest people in the church, you know. And, I, I thought uh, Louise was one. Your name popped up. And I was like, how does Louise love her enemies? I thought, who in the world is an enemy of Louise Wade? I mean, who, who doesn't like Louise? That's your problem, you know? And you must be a real jerk if you don't like Louise. And then I went to another person, and it was like Alice Reynolds. And the next person was, I mean, all these all these people that we think, how in the world would you like these people? Uh, or would you not like these people? Uh, so I, I want to try to share at least four things that I've got. I And I really... I really wanted to get some good questions too to, to discuss and get the brain juices flowing a little bit. I want to I want to get your 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 thoughts as well. So I do have a couple of questions. May or may not get to them but for discussion. But if you have a a thought or you have a a question or you have a uh, how you see an application, I want I want you to be able to at least come away with how does this apply to me, and without getting too personal with you know who's my enemy. And naming names and and you know this and that, I want I want to be able to walk away with something that we can all, rather than just having the knowledge of the truth, then be able to. All right, now here's, here's what I'm going to do with it. Um, so what I want to do is just share four applications here, and I actually have one more thought that I wanted that I was kind of pointing out, and it kind of it kind of hi, it was highlighted to me. I had kind of wrote it down earlier at the beginning of the week, and actually a couple of weeks ago I think, and then. Uh, when I was going through the directory doing my thing, and I and I remember specifically looking at um, oh man, who is, I can't remember who all the people were I was looking at, but I remember specifically Louise looking at you and, and your name and thinking, how is Louise going to love her neighbor, and uh, or, or love her enemy, you know? And I thought, well, who in the world doesn't like doesn't like these types of people? And then it dawned on me that that's what the scriptures dis- notice how the scriptures describe who our enemies are. They're not people that we don't like. They're people that don't like us. It says here that um, the enemies are the people that curse us, that hate us, that despitefully use us, and that persecute us. These are the people that we might not have an issue with, but they definitely have an issue with us. And uh, we all have someone like that. And, and maybe, you, maybe you have an enemy that you don't know that you have an enemy yet. But one day you will find out. Uh, 
here's some instruction on how to handle those people. Or maybe there are people that we just know, yeah, that person doesn't like me. Now, the, the preceding uh, teachings kind of tell me if, if there's a problem with somebody that I have with somebody, then, then I need to fix this. And so I think that's kind of what he's, he's already mentioned, how to deal with people that you have a beef with. You need to get that right. You need to reconcile. You need to bring this, this relationship back together. If, if you've, you've offended someone, you need to get forgiveness from them. You need to make things right, however it may be, what to whatever extreme, right? But here, on the other hand, there are some times when people are just going to have a beef with you and they're going to do whatever they can to remind you that they have a problem with you. And this is how we're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to respond to them. So, you know, just an initial thought is whenever I discover that I have an enemy, I need to first determine why I have an enemy. Is it because I've been deserving of one? Have I done something that this person needs to, I mean, they have a legitimate complaint against me? Maybe, and then maybe I need to make it right. But then after that, then I, I didn't do anything to you. I didn't, you know, maybe they just don't like me because they don't like me. Because they don't like my, you know, the color of my hair. Or they don't like that I'm a Christian. Or they don't like that um, my attitude or my, my testimony makes them feel guilty. Or whatever it may be. Then we see these, uh, these instructions go a long ways to help us. So here are just some four applications that I want to share with you. Uh, to, to make, make it a little bit more uh, applicable. So this morning was more an emphasis on the becoming like our Father, and through that emphasis we see these four applications. Let me read it again. You've heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And as I said, uh, this was, uh, we, we emphasize more of the, the, the aspect of becoming like the Father, which I think is the ultimate goal, but there are some applications that talk about loving your neighbor specifically. So we see you see them there in your bulletin. Uh, number one is to see the neighbor in everybody, and I borrow that phrase from uh, a writer that I, I was reading a couple of commentaries this week, Herman Strack, and he wrote that seeing the neighbor in everyone, and that's um, that, that Good Samaritan story that Jesus tells in Luke 10 uh, tells us who is my neighbor, right? Because when Jesus was teaching uh, the the Teaching in, the, in Luke 10, the lawyer came up to him and he said, well, who's my neighbor? Like, I want an out. You know, of course, I'll be nice to my neighbor, love my neighbor. And Jesus teaches us there that uh, our neighbors aren't necessarily limited to the folks that we like. Sometimes we think that neighbors are the people that live next door to us and across the street from us. But our neighbor is really anybody that we come in contact. with. Just as the Good Samaritan story says, you know, the Samaritan and the, the man that was that was beaten probably didn't live next door to each other, didn't know each other. But they, they happened to be in the same proximity at the time that one of them was in need and at the time that the other one had that which would help the other person. And so that made him obligated to help him out and to do something for him. And we, we recognize that, but putting that sometimes into practice is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more di- difficult. And so uh, with this, this phrase here, to see the neighbor and everybody, is to look at each person and not see them as an enemy or a neighbor, but to see the, the neighbor potential in every person. 
meaning not that I like you, but that I am to bless you. How can I bless you? I am to treat everybody as my neighbor, loving my neighbor as myself. And it's not meaning love the people I love as myself. It's loving everybody around me as myself. And then when I come into contact with new people, and I, I don't know them, they're not my neighbor or my enemy, I'm supposed to love them too. And just because I don't know you or because I don't like you doesn't mean I don't have to be nice to you or I don't have to be good to you. And this is not a, tolerate, a, a tolerating of them. This is not simply ignoring them. This is actually intentionally, uh, uh, deliberately doing good to bless those people. Uh, so we need to um, see the neighbor and everybody under that uh, with, with that, we need to understand who the real enemy is. When he talks about loving your enemy, you know, we're looking at that person, we're thinking, that person right there, that's my enemy. The one with the flesh and bones and the, and the skin on him. Uh, the one that's looking at me right now with a bad face. Or the one that's, that's uh, currently, you know, punching me in the face. Or the person that, that is, is currently plotting for my destruction, right? Ephesians 6.12 uh, tells us that, uh, we, that they're not really the enemy. Look in Ephesians 6.12 with me. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 is talking about the whole armor of God, and it tells us to put on the whole armor of God, but notice why. Verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is why we need to take on the whole armor of God. And when you study the armor of God, they're not physical things. It's not a, except for the Word of God, everything else is spiritual. This is spiritual armor. This is not a, this is not a, well, I need to run down to, 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 to the Home Depot and get the materials to build my armor of God. No, it's all uh, empowered by the Spirit, and it's because it's, we're in a spiritual fight. And so that person that is the face of my enemy is not really my enemy. I need to see them for who they are. They are the victims of sin. They are slaves to sin. Uh, John 8 says that they're, they're slaves to sin. They, they are... They are uh, no, they are still in bondage to that. And really, we don't expect them to act any different than what they do. I'm not surprised when the world does these crazy, worldly, sinful things because that's what sinful people do. They sin. Sometimes we're surprised at where our country is going, but if we look back and think, this is not a nation of Christians who have decided to go against God. This is a nation of people who are not believers that are doing exactly what non-believers do. What surprises me is when Christians do these things or when people who say they're Christians do these things. Because then that makes me wonder, you know, okay, you say you're Christian, but you're doing this. If you don't say you're Christian, you don't want to be an atheist or whatever, and you want to believe these things or do these things, I, I understand that. I don't approve of it, but I get it because you don't have the one who's in me that's keeping me from doing those things. But, but this, is, this, is what I, this is the attitude that we should have when someone declares themselves to be our enemy. Seeing them as, you're, you're the one that Jesus came to seek and to save. You're the one that God put into my life, maybe so that I could reach or so that someone, you know, you could teach me. How did Jesus see his enemies? As objects of his prayer. Again, on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Imagine if, if you were within earshot of that prayer, and you're the one that's doing it to Jesus, you're responsible for nailing him on the cross, and he's saying, Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. You're thinking, yeah, I do. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm killing you. I crucified you. I'm putting you up there because you're, you're a blasphemer against God. You're, uh, you're a, a rabble rouser. You're, you're the problem in our society. I am helping out society. 
Paul thought he was doing God a favor. But yet Jesus says, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, this is because Jesus understood the spiritual fight rather than the physical what we see fight. And we need to get that type of mentality that, you know what? I'm not saying that you're basically a good person because I don't think that we're basically good people. I think we're basically sinners. But I do think that there is a potential neighbor in every person. And I need to look for that rather than the enemy. And I need to try my very best to see those people who attack me as, you know what, you might not like me, and you might think that you don't like me, but there is, you might, your problem might be with God. I might be the face of your problem because I say I'm a Christian. They might say, no, I really hate you. I just think your face is the problem. I think, but ultimately, I need to look beyond that and say, you know what? If Christ would change that person, we wouldn't have this problem. And, and, and even praying to that end, and I think that's kind of how we're supposed to be uh, trying to treat people. I, I, I started to go into look at, at how God loves his enemies specifically in practical ways. And I didn't really make a list, but one of them is, is, is that way. What does God do to his enemies? Well, he, he, he draws them to himself. He loves them and, and changes the enemy into the son. And I need to pray to that end as well. Instead of fighting back, I need to do, uh, pray, uh, pray for them and, and uh, bless them. So that's number one. Number two, the second application here is to assume your new identity. And I say new uh, because you, new as in the, the one you have that you didn't have before. And this only applies if you're a Christian, of course. Uh, but you have a new identity. Now, as natural as the Scriptures here teach us, it's natural to do one thing, and that's to love those who love you and hate everybody else. It's natural. You don't need the Spirit of God for that, to love your neighbors. You need the Spirit of God to do the unnatural, the supernatural, the thing that is really, really difficult to do, and that is to love the people that don't love you back. Or specifically, to love the people that hate you back. The people, you know, there's, there's people that when we love them, we know that we're going to get love back. Then there are other people that we know when we love them, we would get nothing in return. And then there's the other people when we love them, we know we're going to get the opposite in return. We're going to hold out our hand uh, with a gift and they're going to uh, come back with a knife. You know, they're, 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 just, they're just hostile to that. And we're called to love those people. And that's, and that's, a, that's part of our identity. So, uh, we can naturally let others determine our actions and our reactions. Okay, I'm going to treat you based on how you treat me. You know, that's the golden rule. That's coming up in, in just a couple of verses. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But what we usually ter- turn it into is do unto others as they have done unto you. There's a difference. If I do to you what you do to me, then the future is in your hands. How I treat you is all up to you. But if I, do, if I assume the identity that I am in Christ, then how I treat you determines what God tells me to do. It doesn't really matter what you do. I will do to you as I wish you would do to me, but it doesn't really matter if you do that to me or not. I'm still going to do to you what the Father tells me to do, which is what I wish you would do. Um, so that's, that's the difference there. So don't let other people determine your actions. Don't say, well, that guy was mean to me, so I'm going to be mean back. Or this person loves me, so I'm going to love them back. Or this person was not nice to me, so I don't have to love them. No, that's letting other people determine if you're, how you're going to behave. But if I let God's Word determine how I'm going to behave, it doesn't really matter how you behave. Towards me. I'm going to behave the same way towards everybody. That's what it means to let your identity in Christ govern your actions. Because you are a new creature in Christ. You are 
empowered to do the same things that Jesus did as far as uh, responding to your enemies with grace and love and forgiveness that other people outside of Christ simply cannot do. I read to, uh, th- that book he gave me from uh, Lloyd-Jones, just amazing. I, uh, several times I'm reading it and I said, I'm just going to read this on Sunday because this is, this is beautiful what he read there. And this is the guy that I told you he wrote like 30 sermons just in chapter 5. And, and this guy just went, just went crazy in, in pulling apart the Scriptures. And it kept going back to that, this idea of who you are in Christ. And this, this, you, you are enabled to do things that those outside of Christ just cannot do. We'll get to that in just, in just a moment here. Um, uh, loving, love your enemies because God loves them. That's why we love our enemies. We love our enemies because God loves us. I love my enemies not because you're a lovable guy. I love, God, I love you because God loves you. I love you or I am good to you because God was good to me, a former enemy. And I love you because I've been changed. And that's ultimately why I can do this. Because I have been changed. Number three is to love outside of your circle. Love people outside of your circle. And that's what Jesus is teaching them there when he's talking about, he's, he has this, at least two groups mentioned here in Luke. It's a third group with the Gentiles. Uh, we have the, 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 the tax collectors, the publicans that nobody liked. Uh, and then we have the, the Romans that the Jews hated. And we have the Jews that everybody else hated. And even to this day, we have, uh, you know, people have issues with the Jews. And it seems like all through history, as long as uh, Israel has been a nation, or as, as long as Israel has been a, a, a father Abraham, they've had people that don't like them. And really, that's all of us. I mean, we all have people that don't like us. But uh, he tells them there that you've got to go outside of the circle that you think is okay. You've got to step outside of that and love those people, the publicans. Read through the New Testament and in, in, in the Gospel specifically, and, and see how often they were they were scandalized by the fact that that someone, namely it was usually Jesus, would step outside of his circle and say, "I will spend time with you. I will love you. I will do uh, for you what I would do for my friend." And everyone would go, "Oh, wow!" And most of the time, they were disgusted at that, going, "This guy must be a sinner because he hangs out with sinners." Because in their mind, it was you only hang out with those in your circle. You only bless those in your circle. So if you're being nice to sinners, it's because you're a sinner too. If you're hanging out with thieves, it's because you're a thief too. And if you're hanging out with good people like us, it's because we're all good people. But Jesus breaks that boundary. He breaks through that barrier and He's the only good person. And He's hanging out with rich people. He's hanging out with poor people. He's hanging out with tax collectors and fishermen and, and he's anybody. He's, and he's hanging out with, with even women. He, was, he had women in his circle, which was not normally a thing in this culture. So this is, this is how Jesus breaks through the barriers there, and that's what he's calling us to do. We naturally only let those that we like into our circle, right? You all have, we all have a circle of friends. Let's all, let's all just at least acknowledge that we're all in at least the church circle, right? We're okay with that. And we like each other, and we let people in that we like, we don't invite we don't invite people that we can't stand over for dinner, right? Usually, um, we we don't choose to hang out with our mortal enemies. Do people still have mortal enemies? It's like a thing, but I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know if I have any mortal enemies, but I'm sure that there are people out there that have them. But we usually don't hang out. Hey, let's golf together, mortal enemy. You know, let's let's uh, let's take a break from trying to kill each other and play video games together or whatever it may be. 
that's, that's not natural. And so that means that if there's someone who's not in my circle, there's, I have a reason for it. Either I don't know you or I choose not to have you in my circle. You're not in my circle, it's because I don't want you here. But Jesus is saying, step outside of that. Because everybody does this. Everybody does that. I like those who like me. But I don't like anybody else. Jesus says, step outside of that. Push through that and like, love the people that don't like you. Jesus calls us to go beyond our circle and love those on the outside. In other words, draw a bigger circles. It's okay to have the circles. We are naturally drawn to some people that we are not drawn to other people. I, I like to hang out with certain people that I don't like to hang out with others. And you do too. And even within this circle of the church, we have you know, smaller circles of friends and, and people that we, we're closer to than other people. But what he's teaching, draw a bigger circle and include everybody in the I'm going to be good to you. You know, if, imagine the Good Samaritan story playing out in real life. You're driving down 86. You see someone pull over on the side of the road. Their, 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 their hazards are going off. It's a storm. It's nasty. And you happen to notice that it's someone from the church before you actually pass them. I think most of us would pull over and stop because I know that person. But would we do it if it was the mortal enemy? Oh, yeah, that's not my mortal enemy, you know. Uh, <laughs> what would you do then, you know? As a Christian, there shouldn't be a, it doesn't matter who that is, I'm pulling over to help. Because that's what Christians do. That's what the Good Samaritan did. The Good Samaritan didn't say, hmm, hmm, nope, you're a Jew, I can't help you out. He, he, got, he got in there and just helped. And it was the very people that should have stopped and helped that wouldn't stop and help. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you got to draw bigger circles and get those, uh, get those people, uh, love those people the way that, they, that, that God commands us to. And this one is the, the last one, number four here, is kind of the, the culmination of everything that we've been talking about for the last little section. And that is this, that what makes sense to me isn't necessarily what God means. Think about it. Since verse number 21, he has been going off on one, two, three, four, five, six different real big philosophies that have been perpetuated for many, many, many years and yet have been wrong the whole time. Why? We can look back and say, well, that's what's wrong because Jesus' new teaching says it's wrong. But before Jesus came, everybody thought it was okay to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Why? Everyone thought it was okay to um, be angry with your brother, just not kill him. Why? Well, I think it's because over time, people try to interpret God's word in a way that makes sense. The problem was here, and we see specifically in these six areas, it was wrong. It made sense. Yes, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. It made sense. Okay, be angry, but just don't kill me. It makes sense to me. If Steve has an issue with me, I'd rather him just hold a grudge than hold a knife. But Jesus doesn't really see it that way. Uh, that, and, that's, and that's the problem. It, what makes sense to us? Well, what does it matter what I think about as long as I don't do it? What does it matter if I have impure thoughts as long as I don't go through with them? What does it matter if I don't love my enemies? They're my enemies. It doesn't, by the very definition, I shouldn't be loving them. But Jesus flips it all back on it where it should be and says, it's been wrong this whole time. And so just because something makes sense to me doesn't mean it's right. Now, I am all for things making sense. I'm all for really understanding things. And I try to do that. And that's one of the reasons that I, you know, I spend, I spend, sometimes I look over my, I look over the past week after I get this done, I'm like, it took me two weeks to get 
well, this is Sunday night, but I had one piece of paper front and back. And it took me an entire two weeks to come up with something to talk about for 30 to 40 minutes. I mean, my life is, seems like sometimes it's just trying to understand three verses of Scripture. That's like, oh, what would you do this week? I tried to understand three verses of Scripture. And it seems like, hmm, you should be able to do that. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't take that much time to understand this thing. But it's because it's, it's understanding not only what I think it means, but what it actually means. Because if you've ever read the Bible, you have to have, have originally thought one thing and then found out later that it was something else. And, and that's just how it goes, because we, we don't understand like we should understand. And what's dangerous is for many of us, we've come to church so long that we come already knowing that this is what it's going to be about. If I get up Sunday morning and say, all right, we're going to talk about David and Goliath, most of us go, click, I already know that story. Well, yeah, but it's still there. God hasn't removed it saying, all right, that one's been done. Let's, let's throw in some new. It's still there. Why is it still there? There's something that we need to pull out of it. But on the other side, the more, if you've ever really gotten into the Word, you really study it, you find there's so much still there. And I know what I find sometimes I'm reading stuff like this and going, I should have figured this out a long time ago. And it's been there the whole time. And then I don't want to share it as new things because I'm worried that Cliff is like, you're just now catching up to that? You just now figured that out. I got this in Tosh Church. You know, what, 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 what have you been doing? I don't know if you went to, did they have Tosh Church? No, anyway. But, you know, they, they, the, the, uh, the, the, the understanding is important. But here's what goes on. Because anybody who studies the word seriously is going to tell you there's a lot of stuff in there that we just don't get. You know, this morning there was some, there was some interesting questioning going on in the Sunday school class that I think, ooh, ooh, man, why you, how you can go around in circles all day on certain questions that nobody's going to be satisfied. I mean, not, not, you can't get everybody to be satisfied on those things. And what we generally as people, what we try to do is we try to say, okay, here's a sticky t- topic. All right, the Bible says this, but it's a little bit unclear on all the specifics. So, well, this makes sense to me. And then we take it. And we, and we might be right, we might be wrong. But over time, we generally say, this is, this is truth. Where, we're if we were going to be honest, only part of it is truth. The rest of it is kind of what we came up with to try to make sense of the rest of it. And there are many things in the Scriptures that just flat out don't make sense. There's a lot of stuff in the Scriptures that I, I don't agree with. I think God should have done it differently. But God did not get my input. I'm not one of the contributing editors through the Scriptures. And I, I think that there's probably some things that the contributing editors, the guys that are penning it down, are like, are you sure? You know, imagine Paul writing The Chiefest of Sinners. I wonder if that was the Holy Spirit or that was Paul like, really? You know, that you're calling me the worst sinner? Maybe Paul thought it was him, but maybe the Holy Spirit was like, hey, you're the worst. Oh, really? I, but, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the, um, the, 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 the conflict that we have when we come to a divine a divine book like this that I may not get everything there is to get out of it the first time around. And I may not get everything there is to get out of it the hundredth time around. I might die and go to my grave not getting everything there is to get out of it. But here's the, here's the thing. Don't base the truth on what makes sense. Base the truth on what God and His Word said. say. God and His Word said. Yes. All of God's Word. Don't just take the one verse and say, all right, here's the truth. 
Make sure that it, it's what the whole Word says. Make sure it's what God actually said and it's what God actually meant. That's how we base truth. Which, if we're going to be honest and real, that means that a lot of times we're not going to be able to be as dogmatic on some things that we would like to be. Because God Himself wasn't as clear as we would like Him to be. I wish that some of the things that, that, that Christians go around in circles with, I wish that there would be a little bit more clarity. You know, the things that over time we have just gotten way out of whack. And we have all these different religions and schisms of, 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 of groups of people that take the Scriptures a different way. I wish that God would have said something different. I wish that God would have put some kind of a, a mark on our forehead, a bona fide Christian right there, and we would just know. I know I, I wish that it was a little bit more uh, easier to figure out some of these things, but it's not. And, you know, I think that's to the glory of God. As Proverbs tells us, it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, and it's the honor of kings to search it out. Uh, but uh, base what God says in His Word, and let that be your truth. Uh, we have everything in the Bible that God wants us to know about the, about the Christian life. It doesn't deal with auto mechanics and things. It is our responsibility then to study the Bible, to learn the Bible, and apply the Bible, even if and when it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Sometimes there are truths that are just so clearly not clear. <laughs> They're clearly unclear. It's that's what it says. I don't really get it, but I know that that's what it says. Then we then we just take that as all right. That's the truth. Do you understand it? Not really, but it's there. I get it. Just like the doctrine of the Trinity. How can you be three separate and yet one in the same? Well, we come up with these little ways to explain it. But it's still... Wait, wait. And, and, and even the, the little four-year-old can stump you with a question like, but how about this? Well, hmm. you know, and then we come up with, we try to come up with a new But I, I don't doubt the doctrine of the Trinity simply because I can't wrap my brain around it completely. I don't doubt the existence of God because I simply can't wrap my brain around someone as big as God and as powerful and as holy as God. I say, well, since I don't understand it, I guess I won't. Neither am I supposed to shrink God down to person size and say, oh, okay, I can do that. And, and, and people are guilty of both sides. We need to simply take the Bible for what it means. That's why God gives us His Spirit. First Corinthians 2 talks about that, that He gives us His Spirit to lead us in the truth. Because who knows the mind of a man better than his spirit? God says, you want to know the mind of Christ? I give you my spirit, and that will teach you what I want you to know. So don't judge the standard. And, oh, this was kind of an extra thing that I put in there. I was thinking about this with Christians. Don't judge. Don't make your standard for God's expectations what you see in the good Christians around you. I think I'm going to say that a couple times to make sure it makes sense as I'm saying it here. What we tend to do when we're reading something like Scripture, like what does it mean to love my enemies or this or that or some things that I don't really get, what I like to do is I like to think about who the best Christians I know are and then I think about how do they do that. And that could be right, but it also could be dangerous because if we were to take a poll right now, we're not going to do it, who's the best Christian in this room? You know, And if we could all agree that it's someone, I don't want to name any names because... I don't want to name any names, <laughs> but uh, uh, that person would, if that if that person truly was the best Christian in this room, that person would would be honest and say, "I'm not as good as you think I am." 
I am nowhere near as good as you think. Because that person, the closer we get to Christ, the worse we realize who we are. And, and so when I look at, so what that means is, take the best Christian in this room and say, well, that's how this person does it, so that must be what this means. That person might have it wrong. That person is still a sinner. That person may not be as perfect as what God requires us to be. And so when I'm talking about being perfect as the Father is perfect, I don't want to be as perfect as Paul Sears is perfect. Because he's grown a lot more than I have, and so I want to, yeah, that, but you're not there yet, are you? No, okay, Margie, no, he's not, he's close, but not there, no, no, no not close. Margie's just not answering. She's not, the closer he was. But it's still a ways to go. And so if I base my my understanding of, all right, well, I got to be perfect like like he is. I might get there and then realize, well, there's a long ways to go still, because that's not the standard. And that's why that's what Paul says. You know, don't judge yourselves by yourselves. Judge yourselves uh, by by God's standards. There. So looking at the scriptures and letting the scriptures tell us our standards, basing the truths of God's word on God's word, because as we see here, and I don't think that the people that that got these six things wrong over history were intentionally trying to twist the people away from the truth. I really think that these Old Testament priests thought, just like Paul, thought that they were serving God and being true to God and faithful to Him, even though they were so far off. I think they thought they were right. But they were not. <laughs> and so we need to be careful that we don't become like this. We're like, well, in, in all sincerity, I'm doing the best I can. And God might say, that's still not good enough. He gives us this. We need to study it. We have a responsibility to know this and to study this and to learn it and then to apply it. And this is, for me, as a, as a, as a teacher, as a, as a Christian, this is where it gets difficult to try to apply it in the daily life, uh, waiting for, since I have no mortal enemies, as far as I know right now, um, I'm waiting for, the, I know how to happen when the mortal enemy comes, but what about the guy that cuts me off in traffic or the guy that uh, writes me a nasty letter or, or the, 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 the gal that, that, you know, Offended me in some way, or the or the little kid that said something I didn't like. How do I respond then? The people that I live in town with that don't like me because I'm a Christian, because I'm the pastor, or whatever it may be. How do I respond then? That's what's difficult. Let me give you some questions, just more more or less to think about. And then if you if you want to answer them, we have a few minutes. But if you want to take some time to uh, ask or answer a question, but just at least to think about these things. What comes to mind when you think of an enemy? Quality, or maybe a person's mind, a person's name comes to mind. I don't know. But when I, when we're just talking about loving your enemies, who comes to mind? All right. What comes to mind then? Or in other ways to say it is, who are my enemies? Do I have any enemies? Who, who are the people that don't like me? So the next question is, and how can I actively love them? How can I purposefully, intentionally, uh, love those people the way that God does? God does not give rain to the people He likes, and He does not only give sunshine to the people He likes. He blesses those people all the time. Now, does God bless some people more than others? I think so. But there are some things that God does. God doesn't withhold, and He's not evil and mean to the people he, that don't like Him. God is good to the people that shake their fists at Him every day and say, you do not exist. But He sends the rain and the sunshine down to them. So uh, how can I actively love my enemies? How can I intentionally bless them and pray for them? Here's another good question. What makes a Christian different than an unbelieving good person? 
It's kind of going back to what Jesus says, if you, you only love those who love you, what more do you do? There are people that are moral, upstanding, they're honest, they go to work every day, they take care of their families, they love their wives, they give money to charity, they, they are the nicest people you know, and they are not believers, right? We all know someone like that. How are you different than they are? Sometimes when we look at our, our morality, and you can find people who are unbelievers that are more moral and upstanding in society than Christians are, or at least professing Christians are. But as a Christian myself, think about whoever the most moral, upstanding person is in town. How am I any different than that person? Because Jesus made me different. I should be different. It may not be in doing more good deeds than they do, but there's got to be something different about me. And then one last question. Do Jesus' words mean anything different to us today than they did to them in that time? Meaning, we're not living under oppression of another country right now. Uh, and, and, and when Jesus is talking to them, I can see people thinking about the Roman rule. They're going to go home that day and potentially be compelled into service by a Roman soldier before they make it home. Uh, there's a very good chance that they're going to die for their faith. Both of those things are not immediate threats to us at this moment in time. You know, I think we're all going to get home and no one's going to require us to do any labor for the state. And at the same time, I don't think any of us are going to die because we're Christians. We're not living under that threat. How do we then take this 